Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Okay, that's where we're going to start as far as looking at some different things. We've got a lot of other things to look at, but we'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we'll be uh, looking at some things. We're, we're continuing, of course, this semester in SBI. And it's, we're calling it Angels and Demons. It's the first time we've ever taught it in this way. Over the history of being a pastor, and this is my 36th year, uh, I've, we've, uh, we've looked at angels before, demons before, but not to this depth, not to this kind of information that we get in in this class. So there's a lot here. It's a powerful study because we see these spirit beings created by God. They're found throughout the whole Bible from the beginning to the end. They're in our world. We can't see them. They're both good and bad. And, and what we actually realize that even in this room, we are sure that there are good angels and there are bad angels in this room. And uh, there are two big groups. And if you want to put to two big groups, of angels, there's the good angels and bad angels, and you write it that way, but with the good, you can write this out if you want to, you can write with the good angels, you can write that they're the holy angels, holy angels, like they're really set apart, and they serve both God and man, and then there's the bad angels, which we call them demons. And they're they're pretty evil. They're really wicked. They're evil. And who, what they want to do is they oppose God and man. And so we've got these beings that are good spirit beings that we can't see. That sometimes throughout history they've manifested themselves in forms. Sometimes they look like people. We know from the Bible there's certain they look like certain things. When we see in the Scripture, especially around the throne and the, those kind of things. And then we've got bad angels, which we we're we're a little bit um, we don't completely understand how they. Uh, give their presence because most everything we saw in the New Testament they're possessing people they're not their own form and so it's a little bit confusing and we'll see that because you know Satan even Satan came did Satan come in the form of a serpent or did Satan come and possess a serpent in the early days we just don't it's just it's just hard to put all that together so you've got the good angels and the bad angels when we think about our lives as Christians we often think that the unbelieving people are the enemies. Because when I said we go into a fallen world that hates us, we think that the people themselves are the enemies. And the problem is they're not. They're, they're confused. They're blinded. They, they've, they've caught into this false, the whole false things, the counterfeit things of Satan. And Ephesians, if you just want to write it down, I mean, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It means our struggle is not against people, but it is against rulers, Actually, it says against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this dark darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians six twelve. So our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against these rulers, against these powers, against these world forces, against spiritual darkness, against spiritual wickedness. So there's these beings out there that's the real enemy. And we just don't grasp it. So the enemy's really the bad angels. And we looked in the, the first four lessons at the good angels, the holy angels, and we saw how they serve God and man. That's the kind of thing. Beginning in lesson five, we began to focus on the bad angels who oppose God and man. And we're looking at two areas. And if you got on the first one, it says the devil. Okay, that's the, and he's the leader of the fallen angels, and he's an evil being. And I think that uh, I've tried to emphasize that I know all of you agree with this. He's more evil than we can imagine. He is more evil than we can imagine. And what you could think of the most evil thing that you can think of, and you're not even in the ballpark 
with him. I mean, everything he does is evil. So the devil. And then the other area is the demons. And, and they're the fallen angels and their influence. They're, of course, they, they come under the devil, but they have an influence in this world. And they have activities in this world. And we're going we're gonna to talk about these last couple of lessons, uh, probably lessons 12 and 13, because only 13 lessons this semester. Uh, lessons 12 and 13, we're going to deal with the occult and the cult. Uh, occult. And, and uh, uh, I just want to make sure you understand that the occult is, is, is really demonic. The occult has to do with uh, these beings, these demons, uh, things like seances and Ouija boards and witches and all that kind of stuff. That's actually the occult. When somebody says cult, like this is a cult, we're talking about something like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or Reverend Sun Moon, those kind of things. They're cults that usually try to use something dealing with Christianity, but they change it. So if you said something's a cult, you're saying something is trying to be like Christianity. If you say occult, you're dealing primarily with these wicked forces. And the occult is out there everywhere. And in our culture, it's very accepted. You'll see palm readers, you'll see Ouija boards, you'll see all kind of things like that. And people think that it's silly or it's funny, but it's not. Uh, it, it, I don't know if you saw this. I was watching Fox News, and um, there's a group of witches that are in New York City that are going to put a hex on uh, on Kavanaugh. That's, and see, everybody was laughing about it. Oh, a group of witches got together to put a hex. That's demonic and satanic. It's not a hex like some wise tale. It's, it's, there's a demonic force to all of this stuff. You don't want to mess around with witches. You don't want to mess around with anything that opens you up to the evil forces of the demons. You don't want to do that. And I know people who do that. They go to seances. They have palm readings. They go and say, somebody tell my fortune. Oh, let's get the Ouija board and let it say things. Let's do this. Let's do this. Dungeons and Dragons? We're going to talk about that. You remember Dungeons and Dragons? Anybody know Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Ouija boards. We'll talk about some of these things when we get to lessons 11, basically 11, 12, and 13, those up in there. So we're looking at the two areas, the devil and the demons. And so we're now continuing to look at the devil. And we've seen his background, his creation, his fall, his names, his activities. Last week we looked at his domain and how he rules and his plan to rule. This week we're going to focus on, I call it this ministry. I don't like to use the word ministry because when we think of ministry, we think of something that is so good or anything. But tonight we look at Satan and his relationship to God the Father and so much more. And, and I'll get, by the way, the, you haven't got to it yet, but the line that says Satan is, it, it's not supposed to say opposite, it's supposed to say opposed. So change it. As you remember, this is the first time we've ever gone through this, so there's going to be some errors in this. So it should say Satan is opposed to, we'll get to those answers in a little bit, but I just wanted you to go ahead and change that now. I got to go to Los Angeles, not L.A., lower Alabama, but actually Los Angeles for the Olympic Games in 1984. There was a man in the church that I was in at that time who was, let's just say it this way, he was very wealthy, and he actually asked me, you want to go to the Olympics? And I went, do I want to go to the Olympics? Yeah. He said, I'll take you to the Olympics. And so he took me to the Olympics. It was one of the greatest times of my life. We were in downtown L.A., and there was a guy on the street corner selling watches and purses. And the watches were Rolex watches, and the purses were a designer purses. And my friend that was with me said, see that guy over there? I said, yeah. He said, he's not selling Rolex watches or designer purses. They're all counterfeits. 
And have you ever seen counterfeit things like that? Yeah, you have. I had a cousin that worked that started working in a bank. And when she started working in the bank, for the first week, they put her in a back room. And she thought, this is weird. And they just brought in money. And they said, here's money. I just want you to count it. Count, count money. Count hundreds. Count fifties. Count twenties. Just count it all the time. And she said, why are you doing this? Said, because you'll look at it and eventually... Immediately, you'll be able to recognize a counterfeit bill because you you know what the good ones look like. And um, last summer, I was going to L.A., Lower Alabama, and we stopped at this Peaches place, and uh, we always stop there. And it's a little country store, and we go in. And I know the lady that works in there. We were talking to her, and we actually were buying peaches, and I had hard to believe, but I had a $100 bill. And so I gave it to her, and she pulls it out and marks it. And I said, so that really tells us. She said, oh, yeah. She said, last week a guy came in here, was going to buy some things, handed me the $100 bill. I marked it. It was a counterfeit bill. And I looked at him, and, I, and he looked at me, and he said, well, I don't want to pay with that. And he took it back and got in his car. She went, got the license, and called the police because he was passing counterfeit bills. But uh, it, it was counterfeit. Have you ever had a, seen a counterfeit bill? I've never seen one in real life. I mean, I've never seen one, but some of you probably have. Uh, counterfeits, you know the thing about them, they look what? They look real. And there's things that, that are off, like, and you go, that looks right, but it's not right. And there are people who will say, ask Jesus into your life. That sounds right. That's not right. If you just make him Lord of your life, if, you can, if you'll just do this and make a public profession, you'll be saved. That sounds right to a lot of people because that's what they've heard all their life. If they say, what you need to do is repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus. And people say, that sounds what? That sounds right. And so there are a lot of counterfeit things. Tonight as we look at Satan and is dealing with God, there's a counterfeit system. We're going to talk about some different things. And we saw, we just mentioned it last in the last lesson, but we'll see more this time. So when we say Satan and God the Father, we realize there's this huge opposition. And so Satan is opposed to God and the truth. So if you want to put down there, Satan is opposed to God and the truth. He is. He is. He's a liar, right? He's a liar, and we're going to see how that fits together. Understand there's only one God. There are no other gods. There is no other God to be worshipped. If you worship anything other than God, what are you worshipping? Satan. Satan. You really are. You are. Now, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 where I told you to turn, and you can go ahead and go. Oh, well, no, stay right. You're still on that same page. But look at your Bible at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 4 through 6, where Paul is writing. And listen to what he says. He says, therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols. Now, I don't know if you understand this. In the first century, you, you had all these pagan temples. And they would sacrifice animals to their pagan gods. And they would sacrifice them. And then they would take the meat and sell it in the meat market for reduced prices. And so a lot of people would say, I can get a good piece of meat for a cheaper amount because it's been offered to a idol. And since we're Christians and we say there's no such thing as what? There's only one God. So we can go buy meat offered to idols. We'd go up and say, I'll take that piece right there. And you got it and you go with it. But what if there was a Christian who said, you can't eat that because it's been offered to a false God. And that was an issue in Corinth. And so Paul actually says, listen, we know there's 
not any gods but one. And if there's meat offered to an idol and you can eat it, that's fine. But what if somebody says to you, oh, don't eat that. Don't, don't eat it because it messes them up. It bothers them. That's what we call causing somebody to stumble. So Paul's writing about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. And he says, therefore, th- th- therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols... He says, we know that there's no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. He says, listen, when somebody offered a a sacrifice to an idol, there's no such thing as an idol and there's no other gods. It's like there's a, there's like four or five other gods that are kind of out there. There's the true God and then four or five other gods. Paul says, no, we already know there's only one God. Those things aren't gods. And then he says, for even if they're so-called gods, because people call them what? Gods whether in heaven or on earth, indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but what? One God, the Father, from whom all things, and we exist for Him, and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom all things, and we exist through Him. Now that's a very powerful statement. He said there's no such thing as any other gods. Now, you can worship demonic things, and idols are worshiping Satan. You're not worshiping a god, you're worshiping an angel. And when people go with cults and the occult and false gods and all that mess, they're not worshiping a true. They're not worshiping any other god. They're worshiping Satan and they're worshiping demons. So Paul says, "Listen, there's not but one God, and even if there are people call them gods, they're not gods." He says, "There's one, and if you want to write down, there is one God and Father, and who is that?" That's our God, the God, one God and Father, and one Lord, Jesus Christ. Think about that. There's only one God. Now, we talked about this, uh, oh, it's been a while ago, but we talked about the Trinity, and we talked about that, and I think last week we even talked about it. There's, and we mentioned it on Sunday morning because we saw the Trinity. If, if you were here Sunday morning, Jesus got what? baptized and when he got baptized here comes Jesus the son of God up out of the water and who comes the Holy Spirit as a dove comes down and then the father's voice so you got the father son and the Holy Spirit and so when you start talking about there's really only one God he exists as the father and as the son and as the Holy Spirit so one God in three persons and when Paul says that listen there's only one God just remember, there's no such thing. Anytime somebody says they offered to Molech or to Dagon, let me remind you of something. Dagon was a Philistine god, and he was half fish and half person. Okay, do you want to worship that, right? A, a, a fish man. And when the Philistines got the ark, they, they got the ark in a battle, and they put the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it into the temple of Dagon and said, we won. Our God is stronger than their God because we whipped them and we got the box. They don't realize there's nothing in the box. So God isn't in the box. But they brought him in. And what happened is they came in the next morning and Dagon had fallen over on his face. And they had to lift up their God and go, Ooh, our God fell over. Yeah. And they came in the next morning and the head and the hands of Dagon were, breaking off, were broken off. And that's God just saying, that's just a rock, by the way. And a couple of the Proverbs, a couple of the Psalms say that these, these idols have eyes, but they can't what? See, and they have mouths, but they can't speak, and they have ears, and they can't hear. And it goes on to say, they are dumb, and anyone who worships them is like them. 
So just remember this. There is only, if anybody worships anything other than the true God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, they're actually worshiping demons. Because that's what all false religions are. All the occult, all of that are demonic worship. It's all it is. So just remember that. And so when people start playing around with all that mess, it's demonic. So let's look and say, let's look and go to the top of the next page. And let's think about the ministry of Satan. I don't like using the word ministry, but this is what he does. And we're going to see his relationship with God, okay? So number one, where he got there, Satan opposes God, that's what he does. He opposes God. He's in opposition to God in everything. Because the bottom line is Satan wants to be what? He wants to be God. It's, you can't have two gods. There's either a real God. I mean, there's not two gods. So Satan says, I want to be God. And what God really could say to him is, you're not a God. You're an angel. I created you. You might as well quit trying that. So let's talk about his, his aspect. And, and the first one is Satan attacks God's character. That's what he does. That's the first thing that he does. He attacks the character of God. If you remember in Genesis chapter 3, and let me just, let me just read something to you. In Genesis chapter 3, when Satan came to, to Eve, that's where he came first. He came to Eve, not to Adam. By the way, Adam was right there. If you actually read the scripture, when you see Eve being tempted by the devil, it says she took the fruit and she gave it to her husband and he ate. It implies he was standing right there. What he should have done is said, excuse me, you just need to leave. We don't know who you are or what you're doing, but you need to leave. But he didn't. That's why he failed. Anyway, listen to what Satan says about God. The serpent said to the woman, because the woman already said that if we eat it, God says, if we eat it or touch it, we'll die. And so the serpent says, no, you're not going to die. He's, he's calling God what? A liar. a liar. He's opposed to God. He's calling God a liar. He's attacking the character of God. What did God say? In the day that you eat from that tree, you shall what? Die and you shall surely die. And he says, no, you won't die. And then he says, God knows that the day you eat from that, your eyes will be open and you will be like, God, he's a liar again. And, and of course, we imply, and we talk about it later, but he implies basically that God doesn't love you. You've got to doubt God's love and doubt God's word because that's what he always wants you to do. Listen, we're going to get more to this later, but just think about this. All Satan really wants to do to you is for you to doubt that God loves you and to doubt that his word is true. And he got you then, because that's what happened with Eve. Doubt that God loved him. If God loved him, he'd let me eat from all the trees. And doubt God's word. God said, you'll die. And he said, you won't die. So the truth is, he wanted them to doubt God's word and doubt God's love. And that's what he does for us. God, God is love and life. Satan is hate and death. I just want you to understand that. You can write up under where it says attacks God's character. Before you get to number two, you can write down that God is love and life. He is. He's the way, the truth, and the life. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. That's who he is. He's love. His whole character is love. Everything about God is love. Satan is hate. Satan has the power of death. He is hate and death. He's a liar. God, Satan would want mankind, first of all, to, to not believe there's a God or to believe that Satan is God. That's what he wants. Listen, how many people out there would say to you that there's no such thing as Satan? Many. They also say there's no such thing as what? God. See, because that's Satan's lie too. He says, 
I want them to not think I exist so I can influence them. And I want them to think that God doesn't exist so they'll worship me. That's his plan. And so he opposes God. So think about the plan of God. What's the, what's the story of the Bible? Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. He's going to oppose that all the way through. We'll see it a little bit tonight about Jesus and Satan and the, the seed of woman and all of those kind of things. So we'll see it. Now, let's talk about the second part here. And then it is that Satan has a counterfeit system. Now, we've mentioned it already, but if you notice, I've got ten things down there. Some of them we'll go into more detail on. Some of them we won't go into a lot of detail. But I want you to think through this, okay? Think through the counterfeit system. Let's put on God's side. Number one, God rules the creation. Is that right? Does he rule it all? He does. He's, God, he's the God of everything. He created everything. Everything's in his hands. Everything works according to his way. But on Satan's side, Satan rules the world, the cosmos. He's the God of this age. Now, see, he wants to be just like God. Since God rules everything, what does Satan rule? He doesn't rule everything, but he does rule what? This world. So he wants to be like God. Okay? It's a counterfeit system, though, because there is a true God ruling all of creation, and there is a counterfeit God who rules this age. Okay? Number two. Number two. God is most high God. You can write that down. The most high God. Um, the names of God in the Old Testament are really amazing. The name El, let me just write it out. He's the most high God. This is number two. The name El is the name for God. It's singular. And Elohim is plural. And he's the El El Elon, which means God, the high God. He's the El Shaddai, the God who provides he, he's he's a lot. He's uh, a bunch of different names for God. He's Yahweh Jireh, which means God provides. There are all kind of names for God. He is the Most High God. What does that mean? Nobody's above him. Huh? Nobody N- nothing. He's the great. He's the greatest. Well, number two over there for Satan is he wants to be like the Most High God. That's what he actually said. Remember when he fell? I will be like the Most High. That's what he wants to be. It's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. Number three. God has a son who is the Savior we call Jesus Christ. God has a son who is the Savior we call Jesus Christ. He's got a counterfeit. Who is it? Huh? Yes, exactly right. Number three on the other side is he has what he calls a Savior. He's the Antichrist. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 actually says, Many Antichrists have come, and any Antichrist is one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So he's got one. And we already saw the, the false trinity, which the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, Satan. So all you want to put over there is there's the Antichrist. So you've got the Christ. You've got the Antichrist. It's, an, it's a counterfeit system. Number four, seed of woman. If you remember, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God made the promise that the seed of woman will come one day and be the Savior of the world. 
And later on, he said to Abraham in Genesis 12 that that seed is going to come through you. And then later on in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 12 through 17, that would come through David. And then all the way up to the Lamb of God. And that's, who, that's the promise, the seed of woman. Well, he has a seed. Seed of the serpent, right? The seed of the serpent. Who is the seed of woman? Who's the seed of the serpent? Huh? Well, yeah, that or Satan could, you know, Satan actually is the, the seed of the serpent. All right, you ready for number five? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. But Satan has a prince. He's the prince of this world. John chapter 12, verse 13. So Satan is the prince of this world. John chapter 12, verse 13. And if you want to write down, put just Ephesians 2, 2. He's also called the prince of the power of the air. So Jesus is the prince of peace, but Satan is the prince of the world and the prince of the power of the air. You don't have to write down every word, but just Ephesians 2.2 2 says who he is. Number six. Under God there is the Holy Spirit who reveals, right? The Holy Spirit who reveals. If you want to write down just John chapters 14, 15, and 16, just write John 14 through 16. That's where Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's the paraclete. He's going to come beside. He's going to reveal information. He's going to give more information. So we have, under God's plan, you have the Holy Spirit who reveals. But on Satan's side, you have the false prophet. The false prophet who reveals. Write down Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. That's the false prophet. You remember that... Let me just do this for us real quick. This is the tribulation. In the tribulation, halfway through, the Antichrist puts his idol up in the temple and claims to be God. Well, there is a thing called the false prophet who causes people to worship the Antichrist as God. He puts an idol there. I think the idol is going to be a robot. I think the idol is going to be what, what artificial intelligence. I think it's going to be. It's going to be a robot that looks just like, just looks like the Antichrist, and they want people to worship the robot. That's what it actually says. Worship the idol in the temple, which looks like the Antichrist. And the false prophet is, is one that has signs and wonders and miracles and all of these things that they, he, he reveals to people just what the Holy Spirit does. So, questions? Anything? Are we good? How about number seven? God has a gospel message. A gospel message. You want to write out there 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 6. You could also put verses 3 and 4 because that's the exact part, but 1 through 6 is good. This, God has a, has a gospel. What is the gospel? We always say this. There is the gospel. Oops, let me do it this way. There is the gospel. There is a message and a response. 
I don't think it's writing very good. Let's see if this writes better. A little bit. What is the gospel message? It's found in 1 Corinthians 15, basically verses 3 and 4. Paul says, For I deliver to you of first importance, which I also receive that, what? Christ died for our sins. Yeah. yeah, Well, This is not right. Worth a flip. Let's see if this purple thing will write. How's this write? Christ died for what? Our sins. I want you to think about something just for fun. It's Christ. What did he do? And why did he die? Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And for whose sins? Our sins. That's called substitution, right? So the first part of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. And what did you say? According to the what? Scripture. What scripture in his Old Testament, because he's not talking about New Testament, what Old Testament scripture talked about the Messiah would die for the sins of mankind? Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own, but the Lord hath laid on him the iniquities of us all. And there are other places, but Isaiah 53 is a great place. And the proof that he died. Anybody know, remember the verses? For Christ died for our sins according to scripture, and that he was buried. Buried. What's the proof that he died? They buried him, right? Okay, y'all got that? So the first part of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and the proof that he died was that he, that he, rose the, that, uh, that he was buried. So Christ died, why? Wages of sin is death for our sins, substitution, according to scripture, Isaiah 53, and the proof that he died was that they buried him. Part two. What's part two? Christ rose... On the third day, according to the what? Scripture. All right, now, he rose on the third day. That's resurrection. This is the payment for sin. This is the conquering of what? Death. That's why you hear me say, Christ died on, this, died, Christ died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again to conquer death. That's the death and resurrection. According to the scripture, what scripture said that the Messiah would conquer death, that the Messiah would not stay dead? Anybody know? Psalm 16, verse 10. And what was the proof that he rose? They saw him. So if you, if you do 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1, basically, 5, he says, I deliver to you first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the Scripture, and he was seen. The proof that he rose, he was seen. The proof that he died, they buried him. He died to pay for... This is the gospel message, is it not? This is a clear message, is it not? Okay, what's the response? What do we want people to do with this message? We want them to believe. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes. Acts 16.31, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. John 3.16 said, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, here's my word, and believes. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. There's 160 verses in the New Testament, over 160 verses that say the response is to believe. Okay? Now, that's the gospel. That's the message. We tell people Jesus died and rose again, and whoever believes in him will never perish, but have what? 
everlasting life. That's the message from the Bible. He has a gospel. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 1. You think we got it bad? I want to show you something. I wish I had a better marker. Paul sets out on a missionary journey with Barnabas. And they leave Antioch over here. And they go to a little island. And then they go to what is Asia Minor. And all of these towns in this place was called Galatia. And he goes to a church, and then another church, and they kill him. I mean, they actually, they actually stone him, and they think he's dead. And he goes to another place and another place, and then he goes back through, and then he goes back home. And he gave them the grace message of salvation. If you read in Acts chapters basically 13 and 14, that's the first missionary journey. So read it. Every time Paul speaks, he always says, Jesus died and rose again every time. Every message in the book of Acts has the message of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you want to, read Acts 13 and 14, you'll see this thing. He gave them the message of salvation, faith alone, Christ alone, salvation. Now, after he left and went back here, some people came in and they said to them, if you don't keep the law of Moses, you can't be Saved. That would be the same as somebody coming to y'all and saying, you heard this message about faith in Christ. Well, that's okay. You can say faith in Christ. But if you don't do good works, you're not saved. If you don't get baptized, you're not saved. If you don't keep the law of Moses. In fact, their issue was circumcision. If you're a man and you're not circumcised, you can't be saved. Is this works for salvation? Where did this message come from? Okay, it did. And listen to this. Listen to what Paul writes. Galatians chapter 1 He's writing to the churches that he gave this message to. And he's already gotten word that they've already gotten confused and somebody's told them a different message. So look what he says. Verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a what? Different good news message. It's a different message. Which is not really another message. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the what? The gospel of Christ. Let me tell you, it's distorted all over the place. People sometimes say, oh, JB, that's just semantics. I'm not using semantics. To say faith in Christ and repent of your sins are not semantics. They're two different things. One is works, one is faith. And, and people distort the gospel all the time. And look what he goes on to say. Who is Satan? He's an angel, am I right? Look at the next verse. But even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be what? Accursed. We said before, so let me say it again. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. How, how powerful is this message of Jesus Christ? Should it be changed at all? Is it a big deal that we hold to a clear message, or does it really matter whether it's clear or not? It matters. And so Paul says, listen, there is a gospel message. Our number seven, there is a gospel message. Satan has a false 
gospel message. It's uh, Galatians 1 verses 7 and 8. Just put he has a false gospel on number 7. And let me tell you, we already talked about it. What is the false gospel? It's works. Anything other than what? Faith in Christ. Listen, it is so confusing. I know people who have been in different churches, organizations, all of their lives. And they don't know if they're saved. They don't know if they've done enough stuff. They don't know if they've done the right stuff. They don't know if they've kept on doing certain things. Every one of us in this room, you should know that you have eternal life and you will never perish. Is that true? You put your faith in Christ. What did He give you the exact moment you believed? Eternal life. You should never doubt your salvation. You should never wonder if you're saved. Because if you trusted Christ and you said, I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe He gives me eternal life, that exact moment you have eternal life, you become a child of God, you go from death to life, you're saved and you're saved forever and you should never doubt it. You should never say, I hope I do enough stuff. There's not enough stuff. You can't ever do enough stuff. It's faith alone and Christ alone. You should never doubt your salvation. And when you begin to doubt your salvation because you don't understand the message that message has been confused and where does that confusion come from they come from the devil Satan that's what he wants to do he has a counterfeit message and we always used to say that some people will say just be good do good and God will love you you can't do good and God already loves you listen we, we can go downtown Stillwater and ask anybody on the street what do you think a person's got to do to go to heaven what's most of them going to say Try to be good. Try to live a good, go to church. Be a, you know, be a good person. I've had people come in my office. People, who, who, you know, who want, I've had people come and say they want me to do their wedding. I don't even know them. You know, I say, well, let's talk about it. And I sit down and I ask them, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? And they go, yes, we would. I say, why? Well, because we try to live a good life and we pray. And, and, and I know we don't go to church enough, but we're going to start trying to come. And they have no idea of salvation. No idea of salvation. Where does this come from that there's so many people in this community, in this, in this, the United States has, has the greatest freedom of religion of anywhere in the world, and so many people are confused. I'll tell this quick story. Let me see how much more we got to go. I can, I can speed it up. I, I did, uh, I had, uh, I'm going to just say this. I had two people come to see me. And they both went to church, and they both college students. And one of them, I'm not even going to say much about him, except he played football at OSU. Now, this is a long time ago, so you have no idea who I'm talking about. This person played football at OSU a long time ago. And the one he was going to marry had come from Russia and come to, come to the United States, come to school here, and they met. And so they come into my office, and... They wanted to do their wedding, so I said, well, let me ask you some questions. If you were to die, would you go to heaven? She said, yes. He said, yes. I turned to her first. I said, tell me why. And she said, I have put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe he died for me. I said, where did you hear that message? She said, well, I grew up in Russia, but we didn't have a Bible because it was frowned on. But my great-grandfather had a Bible, and I read it. And as I read the Bible, I saw Jesus who died and rose again, and I have believed in him for eternal life. I said to the guy who grew up in a small town in Oklahoma, 
going to a particular denomination, and I said, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? Yes. Why? Because I've repented of my sin. I've given my life to Jesus. I walked down the aisle to make a public profession. He was confused on the gospel, growing up in the United States, in a church in, Mississippi, in, in Oklahoma. He was confused because he had never been taught the clear message. She wasn't confused because she got it directly from the Bible. If you go to the Bible, you're going to find that the message is Jesus died and rose again. And if you believe in him, you have what? Eternal life. So it, there's a, there are so many people confused because there's a false gospel. Okay? Number eight, there is, uh, the, the God has what we call biblical doctrine. In other words, truths of the scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God, okay? 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is inspired by God. So God has a doctrine, right? And we're studying it, aren't we? Okay, second, yeah, Second Timothy three sixteen. That's the one that says all scripture is inspired by God and prophet for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. I just put down sixteen for you. There is Bible doctrine. There is truths teaching from the Bible that we know, right? What do we do on Sunday morning? We're teaching through what? Matthew. What are we teaching in grow groups? Prayer, we taught on knowing God's will. What are we doing in this class? Angels and demons. We study in Bible doctrine. Okay, Satan has a false doctrine. He has a false doctrine. Just write down, false doctrine. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Let me read this to you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. There is doctrines of demons. Also, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Just write that one down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. He talks about there is a doctrine that is a form of godliness. Does it sound okay to say... Turn away from sin and, and be willing to live for God and you could be saved. Does that sound okay? Yeah, turn away from sin sounds good. Living for God sounds good. It's just not the right message for salvation. It's probably a pretty good message for Christian life. Right? And that's what happens. People mix that up. Okay, number nine. God has servants and ministers. Put down just ministers. And when I say ministers, that's us. All of us. 2 Corinthians 5.20. We're ambassadors for Christ. So write down 2 Corinthians 5.20. Write down 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. It, we're stewards. It's required of stewards to be found faithful. We're servants of God. Who does God use to get his message out? Us. All of us. Every one of us. Satan has false ministers. Just write down number 9. False ministers. Just write down 2 Corinthians 11, verse 15. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 15. You can also write 2 Peter 2, 1. And there are a bunch of other places. Uh, let me give them to you. Uh, Matthew 24, 11. Matthew 24, 11. That's where he says false teachers. And there's even a place that says false apostles. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. So it's all in that little same area. They're false. 
Listen, there are people who stand up and they're on television and they give messages and they're contrary to the Bible and just people follow them all over the place. They're false. They're false teachers. They're false messengers. Some of them know it. Some of them don't. Last but not least, number 10. This is the one I want. I love for this one. Okay. Let's put Jesus and let's put Satan. And when we think about Jesus in John 14, he says, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. Okay? And so if you want to just put down here, in Jesus, number 10, in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And let's put over here in Satan. Guess what? There's going to be a way. But instead of truth, what is it? A lie. Instead of life, what is it? Death. Now let's think about it. Jesus is the way. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. So what's his way? It's narrow. What does that mean? There's only one way. Exactly. See, I, I, the first time I ever read that, of course, I just, you know, I didn't know anything about the Bible. And it said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way to life. And I had people say to me, narrow means that, you know, you better live right. You better obey God because it's so narrow, it's law, it's legalism. It has nothing to do with it. Narrow means there's only one way. Broad is the way to destruction. This is broad. His way is broad. Jesus' way is narrow. Jesus' way is truth. John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. Okay? Satan is a liar. John 8, 44. He's a liar from the beginning. Always has been a liar. Always will be a liar. Everything he tells you is a lie, even though it sounds like the truth. He said to Jesus, you just jump off this thing right here, and it already says his angels will protect your feet. He left out part of the verse. That's what he always does. He's a liar. What did he say to Eve? You will not surely. What? That's a lie. She would die. And he said, you're going to be like what? When you eat from this, you'll be like God. Were they going to be like God, knowing right and wrong? Yes. But would they be like God? No. He lied to them. Jesus is the truth. Satan is a liar. Jesus has life. What kind of life? Eternal life. Satan has what? Death. And it's eternal death. Destruction. So this is beautiful. So don't forget this part right here. That's going to be on the quiz. Okay, he's the way, the truth, and the life, the narrow way, the truth, John 17, 17, eternal life. Satan's way is broad, he's a liar, and he brings death. John 8, 44. Okay, we got, we're going to have to go a little faster. I thought I was going to get through early, but let's go fast. Let's go fast. Let's look at the, how he deals with Jesus, okay? Genesis three fifteen. what is that? That's the seed of woman. That's the battle. When you go all the way back, it actually says this. I will put enmity. This is what God says to the Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Enmity means hatred. There is a hatred between the seed of woman and the seed of the serpent. Who is the seed of woman? Jesus. Who is the seed of the serpent? Satan. That's who it is. There's, there's a, a conflict. Jesus will do what? 
crush Satan's head. Actually, actually it's the word bruise. You can put crush if you want to, because the word bruise and crush mean the same thing. Okay? It actually means to grind. Satan will do what? Crush or bruise Jesus' heel. One's a head blow, one's a heel blow. <laughs> Which one's worse? The head blow. What does that mean? That Satan will, will bruise or crush Jesus' heel, but Jesus is going to crush or bruise Satan's head. What does that mean? Jesus is going to win. That's exactly what it's talking about. When in the world would that happen? At the cross. And that's exactly right. So we're going to put the cross. Now, what's the story of the Bible? I got it down there for you. What is it? Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. There it is. This is, this is, the, mo this is the key of all history. You understand that? Of all human history, the cross is the key. Because the promise in Genesis 3.15 is the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. And it says, and the serpent will bruise the heel of Jesus. When did that happen? At the cross. That's the most, the most important event in all of history. So look at the top of the next page. It says Colossians 2.14 and 15. It's the victory of Jesus over Satan. It's at the cross. Now let me read those verses for you. You don't have to turn there just because of time. This is Colossians 2, verse 14. Jesus having canceled out the debt consisting of the decrees against us, hostile to us, having nailed it to the cross when he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public display of them having triumphed over them through Christ. When did that happen? Listen, on the cross, was Jesus bruised on the hill? Yeah. Was it good for Jesus to be on the cross? Did he love that? Did he say, oh, I can hardly wait to get up there? What did he say? If it's possible, do what? Listen, what was going to happen to him? Listen, do you think that hurt? Do you think, do you think being beaten like that and the thorns and the nails and the everything, do you think that hurt or not hurt? Was that a horrible thing to happen to a human being? That's Jesus being bruised. But when Jesus died on the cross, he conquered who? So he conquered it all. That's the victory. 1 Peter 2.24, he bore our sins when he was on the cross. So write down, the triumph on the cross. The triumph on the cross. And by the way, John, listen to this. Now judgment, this is John 12, 31 and 32. Now judgment is cast upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who's the ruler of the world? Satan. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. What did he mean lifted up from the earth? Lifted, lifted what? What did you say? Well, no. Okay. All right. What is Jesus saying? Judgment has come upon this world. Now, the ruler of this world is going to be what? Defeated. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Now, I'm going to read you the next verse and it'll explain it. What do you think he's talking about? We all think it's ascension. No, he's not. Listen to what it says. He was saying this to indicate 
the kind of death he was about to die. He was lifted up on the cross. So get that. When Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I draw all men to myself, he's not talking about his resurrection or his ascension. He's talking about dying on the cross. Because why? Because at the cross, what happened? Satan was crushed in the head. Jesus was bruised in the heel. That's the victory. This is the greatest event in all of history. It is. That's John 12. If you want to write down 12, 31, 32, and then the one about uh, the kind of death he is about to die is verse 33. So you can put the other verse out there as well. So when Jesus talks about being lifted up, he's not talking about resurrection. And he's not talking about ascension. He's talking about being lifted up on the cross. What did he say? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be what? Lifted up. What's he talking about? Lifted up on the cross. Wow. Okay, we got a few minutes. So, uh, uh, Satan, uh, listen, if this is the greatest event of all time, are we right? I mean, what is the gospel? Death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest event of all time. That is, Satan said, we're going to stop all this, and God says, no, no, no. In fact, what I'm going to do is this seed is going to crush this seed. It's going to happen right there. So, if that's true, Satan wants to stop Jesus from dying on the cross. How? I want to give you some things just very quickly. What happened in Genesis? Just write Genesis 6. What happened in Genesis 6? Do you remember what happened in Genesis 6? Angels came down and did what? Tried to have sex or had sex with what? People. And what were they trying to do? Pollute the race. If you pollute the race, there's no what? No Messiah. No Savior. That's Genesis 6. You don't have to write all that down. Just write Genesis 6 and if you put pollute. What happened in Egypt? What happened in Egypt? They were going to kill all the what? All the baby boys. Why? The Jewish people were growing so fast they decided to do what? Kill all the baby boys. If you kill all the baby boys, where's the Messiah going to be? No Messiah. What happened in the book of Esther? Y'all know the book? Everybody loves Esther. What's it about? Haman was going to do what? Kill every Jew in the world. If every Jew in the world is gone, where are you going to have a Messiah? Herod. What did Herod do? He tried to kill what? All the baby boys, two years old and under, because he thought, I can get that one that's born king of the Jews. Right? Now you see Peter and you go, Peter? <laughs> How would Satan use Peter to stop Jesus from going to the cross? Jesus said, okay, men, we're going to Jerusalem. When we get to Jerusalem, I'll be handed over to the religious leaders. They will beat me. They will, they'll hand me over to the Gentiles, and they will kill me. And three days later, I'll rise again. And Peter said, we will not let them kill you. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me. Satan, because that's the plan of Satan, is to stop Jesus. Peter's going, oh, I don't know what I said, you know, right? And what about Judas? What's the plan there? Who was Judas possessed by? The devil, exactly, the whole plan. So Satan's plan is to stop Jesus from dying. Guess what? Jesus died to pay for sin. 
and rose again. And he's already defeated Satan. Who has won? Jesus. He, we have. We're the winners. See, we trusted in Jesus. He's the Savior. He's already won. He triumphed on the cross. It's already over. Because the promise in Genesis 3.15 has already been fulfilled. And now we get to live it out and live for Him as going into a world that hates us because we're not of this world. We just happen to be in it. What right. you say about Peter again? Uh, the one that said, we won't let you die. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking of the things of men rather than the things of God. So let me let so Satan is in, in relationship to the Father. He's in conflict with God. He opposes God as far as Jesus is concerned. The whole thing, the victory is at the cross. His plan would be to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And then next time we're going to see a little bit more about Jesus, and we're going to begin to see a little bit about mankind, and uh, we're going to actually see the temptation of Jesus.